0: I want to talk to you today for our final message on God's Hall of Fame. I'm going back to David again. And I want to go back to David because it's important that we realize that God's Hall of Fame believers, God's Hall of Fame heroes of faith that we can use their lives as examples or encouraged by their lives, that they often, oftentimes, they make mistakes somewhere along the way there's a failure somewhere along the way. And I think it's important for us as believers to realize that God champions, God heroes still make mistakes. They still sin, they still fail. And then what do you do after that? You are this generation's God's hall of fame. You are, you are running the race, you're carrying the banner of Jesus now. And I believe one day your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will Repeat the stories of your life, and how you taught them to pray, or you brought them to church, you brought them to Christ, and how their lives were changed. You can be a Hall of Fame hero, but I'm here to remind all of us that we're human beings, and we still need a Savior, and we're still going to need grace. And what do you do after you make mistakes, and after you mess up? And so today's going to be one of those opportunities where at the end of the service, we're going to have some time at the altar as well. And God wants to bring some freedom. I really appreciate how Maria was encouraged by the Holy Spirit to talk to you about deliverance today, talk to you about freedom. And I think today is a day of freedom. Today is a day of deliverance. And that may come by the corporate prayer moment, but it may come, you know, you can get deliverance by the word being preached as well and by truth, replacing lies. Some of you have been bound because there's some lies the enemy has been telling you, and maybe you couldn't receive in that first prayer, but maybe the Word will help you get some truth so you can receive by the end. One way or the other, from beginning to end of this service, you're not going to walk out of here in bondage anymore. Come on, somebody, say amen to that. Amen. And, you know, especially bondage to guilt, shame, condemnation. Those are things I believe that God is going to eradicate right now. He's going to set you free so you can hold your head up high. He is the glory and the lifter of your head, my friend. And so sometimes we walk around with our head down because we've made mistakes, feeling that we've disqualified ourselves. But I'm here to help you realize that all of us need a Savior. This is what God's going to talk about. Even David, the man after God's own heart that we talked about. Do you know that people who have a heart after God can still fail? People that have have a love for God, can still somewhere find themselves in a place where they go, how did I get here? And that doesn't mean they stop loving God. And here's the thing, a heart after God, when you fail, if you have that tender heart for God and you allow God to keep talk to you, talking to you, that's, that heart towards God will get you back on track, even if you get off track, because you're letting God speak to you. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 24, verse 16, the godly may trip up seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. I think it's great that the Bible is already letting us know, hey, you may make mistakes. You may fall down seven times. But you know what? Keep getting up. Don't stay down. My mentor, when I was growing up, she used to say, quick down, quick up. Don't take a year off because you made a mistake somewhere. Don't stop praying and going to God because you don't feel worthy to go into his presence. We were never worthy to go into his presence. But how many times do we run from God like Adam and Eve after they sin? We go hide from God after our mistakes rather than running to God and being open and saying, God, here I am with my failures, with my mistakes. That's what I wanna talk to you about today, champion, modern day hero of faith, amen? The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. And today is about you getting up again. What do you do after you fail? You, you go to God and you get up. You don't stay down and let the devil keep you under his foot. You don't belong under there or under condemnation. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A true test of a Hall of Fame believer is what he or she will do after they fail. All of us are going to make mistakes. All of us are going to end up doing something that we regret or that other people can even point at and say, why did you do that? We still fail. But what are we going to do after that is the key. So let's go to David's life. Let's kind of get quickly into the life of David. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're going to start. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let me just read it to you, and we'll start teaching it after that point. Second Samuel, Old Testament, chapter 11. In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, please underline that in your Bible. In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So this is the time of year where typically the kings lead their armies into war, but David delegated it to somebody else, to Joab. They, they succeeded, and David was back kind of relaxing, kind of sitting in the palace during the time where he should have been out fighting. Late one afternoon, verse 2, after the, his midday rest, David got out of bed, was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty, taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife, the wife, he was told, the wife, underline that, of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. So he was just just told she's married, and he just pushed through that. Go get her anyway. And she came to the palace. He slept with her. She had just completed her purification rites after her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. How did David get here? I mean, we just talked last week. We were bragging that he was a man after God's own heart. He was the one that was defending the army of God, the people of God. He should have been the one out in front leading the charge. This was the time the kings go out to war. And here he's in the palace. We don't know why he chose to stay back. But in not being out pursuing the call of God, not being passionate about what he was supposed to be doing, he found himself looking at things he shouldn't be looking at, pushing through speed bumps that God was putting along the way and doing something that this was completely something, I guarantee you David never thought he would have done years earlier or at a different time or season of his life. So what happens? He finds out that she's pregnant. And so he's trying to cover it up. Rather than going to God, rather than coming clean with it, he moves from not only being an adulterer now to now he's covering it up. Isn't that what sin does? Sin, if it's not taken care of, pushes you into more sin and more sin and more sin, right? And so he calls for Uriah to come home thinking, well, if Uriah can get home fast enough, he'll probably go home to be with his wife. He's a soldier. This is his wife. She's beautiful. He'll definitely want to be with her physically, intimately while he has opportunity. And so we'll call him home from the military. But you know, Uriah, the Bible talks about him was a faithful man. And so when he came home from the war or the battle, when David brought him back, he wouldn't go to his own house and give himself the luxury of eating with his wife and sleeping with his wife and all those comforts because his fellow soldiers were still on the field. And so Uriah had this like internal character, this honor, and he was trying to please God and, you know, be a faithful man. And so David said, go home basically and be with your wife, but he wouldn't. And so David would get him drunk the next day. He tried to do it again, get him drunk. But even in getting Uriah drunk, he still wouldn't go home to be with his wife. And so David was thinking, what do I do now? Now there won't be a way to hide this adultery. Now she's pregnant and all these different things. And so he moves from being an adulterer and trying to cover it up to now he strategically figures out a way to remove Uriah and murder him. So he sends Uriah back to the battle with a letter in his own hand to give to the commander. And the letter reads to the commander, this is what you need to do. Put Uriah in the front of the battle and then in the heat of the battle, everyone else drop back and leave Uriah there because he will die basically. So David literally gives Uriah a letter of his own death. It's amazing. And remember last week we were like, this is a man after God's own heart. This was that little shepherd boy. This was that little tender heart. How in the world does he get here? How does he get to a place where he takes someone else's wife and then he strategically murders the same guy and covers it all up? Who does he think he is? How does does someone who loves God get to this place? You know, one thing I love about the Bible is that it shows not only the strengths of its heroes, but it also shows their failures and weaknesses. I love that God isn't trying to cover up humanity by lying and saying, these are these superhuman people and and they're so far above, they're all like us. And God works with them and God doesn't quit on them and and God even knows how to restore them. But that's beautiful about how your Bible is written because all of us are gonna face different times of our lives where we make mistakes and we don't do things that, that we would've done when we were having that heart after God. And again, how did we drift? How did we get here and what do we do now? That's what we wanna talk about today. So let me just talk a little bit about David and how we kind of arrived to this moment. Just some thoughts. I'm not trying to analyze all of David. I don't know everything that happened with David personally, I just have some thoughts. So these are some of my thoughts about how did I get here? How did David get here? One was that key verse in verse one that says, at the time the kings went off to war. You know, David throughout his history in Israel was always the lead warrior. He was always the one pressing for the kingdom, always the one championing the things of God for others. And for some reason, he just pulled back. He just stopped leading the charge of passion and for the kingdom and for the things of God. And he began to delegate his authority or his calling to others. Now, I can just tell you from my own personal life example and stories, and if it benefits you, great. But I know this, that when I am pressing, when I am running towards the vision that God has put in my life, when I'm, when God is putting me in places that are stretching me, I pray more, I read my Bible more, I lean on Him because it's bigger than me. But they have, there have been seasons in my life where I've stopped pressing. I've kind of, I don't know about you, but you can kind of get to a place where it's like, man, I, I was pressing in that last season and and it's just nice to not be pushing. <laughs> it's nice to just, you know, rest and and take time off, and all these things. And there's always good for recreation and vacation. I feel like I always have to balance things because I'm, I'm not trying to say don't take vacations and things like that. I'm not talking about a vacation. I'm talking about a season of your life where it's almost like you stop letting God lead you into greater works. And you look back in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, and you begin to say, well, I've done, Lord, I was doing all this. You know, let another generation do it. Let another younger person do it. I, I don't completely agree with, well, I don't agree, with delegating your calling off to another generation. Until you die and go to heaven, you're not done. It's not like, well, I, this is, I'm older now and the young, this revival is in the youth. Revival is in any, is in the heart. It's in the heart. It's not in the youth. The reason it's in the youth is because they open their heart to it. And at some point, we mature and we don't have it in our heart. You can be, you're 80 years old. I was just reading about Caleb. This is even in my sermon, but I was reading about Caleb this week. At 80 years old, he looked at Joshua and he said, give me my mountain. Like, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to take possession of what God has promised me. And here's the thing, when you're in the middle of God's call on your life, when you're in the middle of growing and fighting for the things of God, it's like your eyes are on the Lord. They're not on a naked woman bathing on a rooftop. Was that inappropriate to say in church? No. word. You're busy about your father's business. And that's what I'm saying here. David, for some reason, it was like there was just this season where he just... Delegated what he was supposed to be doing to other people. And I'm not talking about, stop balancing, Kevin, you'll never get through this, but it's like, it's okay to delegate, like Moses had to delegate, but you don't delegate your call. Come on, that's good. God adds people to help you with the call, but you still have to lead the call. You have to lead what God has assigned you to do. You may hire people and stuff, but you. David had to lead the kingdom. He was anointed to be king. He was anointed to lead as lead commander of his his nation, and he delegated it to Joab. He would never have been there staring at Bathsheba if he would have been on the battlefront. Do you see that? And so I want to encourage all of us in the room, how did David get here? I just want all, all of us to see ourselves that you are at your best when you are pursuing the call of God on your life, pursuing it, because it's growing you, it's stretching you, it's making you dependent on him. You don't become overconfident in yourself because the calling keeps pulling more out of you. Amen. Amen. The calling on our lives is not just about what we accomplish, but it keeps us in a place of pursuit. It keeps us sharp, praying, stretching, trusting. Boredom is a breeding ground for sin. Boredom is the breeding ground for sin. Have you ever heard the phrase, idle hands are the devil's workshop? That's found in one translation. I think it's the New Living Translation, the 1971 version. And, And... it was a good year, thank <laughs> that was a good year. But that verse, it basically says, idle hands are that when you're sitting there bored, you're just looking around, you get distracted by things that you wouldn't normally get distracted by. James chapter one, verse 13 through 15, no one is to say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone, God doesn't tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. It's an interesting progression, I think. Each one of us is tempted when we're carried away and enticed by our own lusts. So there's an opportunity is in front of you. And... There's this temptation on the inside, this desire, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Some of the, one of those three categories, something is presented. And then it moves from just being external to when lust has conceived. See, I think that's kind of what happened with David. That word conceived means become pregnant with it, right? So it gets in you and something of you, links a hold of what just got in you. The word conceive also means to form or devise a plan in the mind. To form or devise a plan in the mind. So Pastor Kevin, what are you trying to say? You you can't stop the world from creating temptation. You're not gonna stop the devil from creating temptation. It's out there being offered. But what happens is then when we something in us grabs a hold of it, and it becomes something that we begin to conceive. It becomes something that we begin to think about, something that we begin to make a plan, something that we begin to put and ponder in our heart, the word conceive, to form or devise in the mind an idea. We begin to play with that idea of it. I don't know how long David looked at Bathsheba, I don't know if he saw her multiple times, and he knew this was the time of day that she'd be out there having a bath. I don't know how David moved from the heart after God into the man that would become a murderer, but somewhere along the way, the temptations that were out here went from being out here to something that he began to play with in his mind. The possibility of, I wonder what it would be like to take her for myself. I kind of deserve her, don't I? I'm the king after all. And isn't it whatever the king wants, the king should have? He began to inquire about her, and they said, she's married. That should have been a big red flag. Do you see, it it wasn't like he saw her, he slept with her there was a progression, there was a a conceiving of the sin, a thinking how to do this or justification of doing this. There was a progressive even changing of all these speed bumps and things. That's what the Bible was saying. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. What I would like to help us see here is not only to be passionate about your calling, but stop playing with sin in your mind. You're like, well, I would never do it. I'm just thinking about it. I'm just window shopping. (laughs) Look, can we just be real in this conversation here? Your imagination is powerful. Your imagination is powerful. Matter of fact, the Bible in the Old Testament, God said when they were imagining to build the Tower of Babel, he stopped them saying anything that they imagine to do will come to pass. Nothing will be able to stop them when they get it in their head to do it. That's what we don't realize. When we play with our mind, what would it be like to have an affair? What would it be like? I mean, would anyone really notice if I took that money? You start talking to yourself about, maybe not being as faithful with the money that you're supposed to be counting and you just start putting a couple dollars in your pocket. I don't know. I don't know how we go from a heart after God into being a murderer. But you understand that that's a slippery slope? But they start playing with it. Stop playing with sin in your mind. I used to have, hear this as a young man growing up. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will make you stay longer than you want to stay. And it'll make you pay more than you ever thought you would pay. That's a slippery slope. David didn't start out a murderer. He only started out to satisfy himself sexually Can fornication and pornography lead to greater sins? The answer is yes. Can lying, cheating, jealousy lead to greater sins? The answer is yes. Slippery slope. The devil loves to make people who've sinned just keep on sinning. And everyone, I just want to remind us all that we're talking about a man after God's own heart. We're talking about someone that we know is still a hero of faith. I want to get there, but I want us to see... This progression. I want us to see this human side of David. The devil loves to make people who've sinned just keep on sinning. It, that's what happened to David. He committed adultery, and then rather than going into truth and confession, he kept trying to cover it up. The slippery slope went from adultery to murderer, but you know what? He could have helped put the brakes on before that. He could have put the brakes on at the initial sin, How do you do that, Pastor Kevin? I'm about to get there. But another reason it's a slippery slope is that failure and shame drive us into cycles of more failure and shame. This is why it's so important that we embrace the idea of confession before the Lord and repentance. But we're forgiven because of Jesus. I understand that. But you want to know what the breaks would have been for David? Truth. Do you hear me? The truth will make you free. Coming to God and saying, God, I did this. Or to others and saying, I confess. Do you understand that would stop that sin and the power of that sin right there? Because secrecy And deception have like this momentum to it. It keeps getting bigger. One lie turns into another lie, turns into another lie. Denial turns into then backing that denial and validating that denial and hiding and deceiving. When If we just would come clean, all of that additional sin, all of that additional drama and pain would have been prevented if we just would have said i'm guilty i did it help me are you understanding this let's look at second samuel chapter 12 second samuel chapter 12 when david sin was brought to the public light Again I tell you the stopping of the slippery slope the stopping of the slide will involve truth and repentance not hiding and denial 2nd Samuel chapter 12 1 through 7 So the Lord sent Nathaniel the prophet to tell David this story There were two men in a certain town one was rich one was poor The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised a little lamb and grew up with his children. It ate from his own plate and drank from his own cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a little baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, prepared it for his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one who he stole, having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Underline that in your Bible. The prophet looked at David and said, David, don't you see? That's you. You took Uriah's wife. You had all this wealth, all these wives, and you took his wife, and then you killed him. But David, in his own deception, couldn't even see what he had done. And so he needed someone to help him. You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel, saved you from the power of Saul. I gave your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered. I wonder if that's the first time David recognized what he had done was murder. You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. Maybe that's the first time David recognized that he had stolen. He was a murderer and a thief at this point. He didn't even realize it. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you've done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes. He will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. Verse 13, then then David confessed, To Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die from this sin. Nevertheless, because you've shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child that was conceived in Bathsheba will die. Verse 13, David finally exclaims, I have sinned against the Lord. This is where truth and repentance starts. It's by acknowledging the reality of how far off we've gotten. Stop being defensive. Stop hiding. I'll keep using that phrase, the truth makes us free. The only one we're hurting when we're hiding is ourselves on this. Or, I'm sorry. No, we're hurting a lot of other people too, but when we're hiding, we're hurting more. We're not healing anything by hiding and it's getting worse. Things are getting worse when we're hiding. That's what I should have said. I love this in Psalms 51 because it's a record of David's prayer of repentance. If you open your Bibles to Psalms 51, I want you to see this. Verse one, Psalms 51 verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins, Wash me clean from my guilt. Look at, he starts to admit my sin, my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment of my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty, from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sin, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God." There's some key things in here. David didn't try to deflect what he had done. When when Nathan said, you're the man, he didn't get mad at the prophet for pointing it out either. I mean, how many times does God try to bring people into our lives to say, why are you participating in this activity, this sin pattern? Or you're going to get... In trouble if you keep down that path. And people get mad at the individual that God is trying to use to save their life. And even the prophet, God was trying to use the prophet to save David's life and to save the kingdom. You know what David could have done? He could have ordered the prophet to be killed. Do you know there's other kings in Israel that when a prophet came up to them and confronted them in their sins, their solution was kill the prophet. You can see that pattern throughout the Old Testament repeated. Rather than coming clean and saying, I have sinned, their solution was remove the one that's making me feel uncomfortable. Remove the conviction. But you see, this is where David's heart after God comes back in. Are you hearing me right now? This is what makes David the one that we're still talking about as the king after God's own heart. It's not because David would never sin. It's not because David was perfect. It's not because David didn't do some tremendously horrible, corrupted things, but that heart after God kept him in a place where when God confronted him, he said, okay, God, here I am. And I trust my life. I trust myself with you. I'm running to your grace. I'm running to you, God. I love you, God, and I have sinned. But rather than running away from God, he knew his God, he loved his God, and he knew his God loved him too. You could hear it in that prayer in Psalms 51. He was asking for restoration. He was asking God to cleanse him. He wouldn't be asking any of those things if he didn't know that God had a heart to do those things. David knew his God, and he knew that it was God's desire for restoration. And so that heart after God drove him back to his God. It allowed him to be convicted. Conviction's not a bad word. Amen. The devil tried to turn it into condemnation and we remove that condemnation, but conviction, conviction was meant to stop you from continuing to kill your life and others. Amen. Conviction is not a bad thing. The Holy Spirit does convict. But be like David when God puts his fingerprint on an area of your life of sin. You know, God is not trying to embarrass you. He wasn't trying to humiliate or embarrass David. He was trying to stop him from the slippery slope that was going to destroy himself and the kingdom. God is putting his finger on areas of our lives at times, not because he wants to humiliate you or embarrass you. He never wants to do that. He loves you too much. But he is trying to stop you from destroying your life because The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That sin, remaining unchecked, will consume you. And it will consume your family. It will go into your generations. Are you understanding this? And so repentance and truth is the ability then, is, is where that slippery slope stops. It's not about embarrassment. It's not about God trying to penalize you by making you humiliate yourself. Nathan was trying to stop the spin and David, by being open, and David by saying, that's me, I'm, I am the guy, was able to come out of that tailspin. Though God was angry with David and his actions, God never stopped loving David. My friends, all of us in this room, at some point are gonna have a messy something. All of us do. Hopefully not to the extent that we see with like murdering and all these things, of course. But listen, all of us have mistakes and sins and things, whether it's unforgiveness or bitterness or jealousy or pride or greed or, you know, impurities of some sort or another. God never stopped loving David during this time. He eventually restored David. Now, I do have to say this, though, because it's just true. He eventually restored David, though some of the consequences remained. Sin does have consequences. And sometimes people want to come to church and, and pray and, say, and they're just hoping that God somehow miraculously fixes all the consequences. And I'm not going to say that there aren't times that That God does do that. I remember a gentleman uh, needing healing from lung cancer. And uh, he didn't want to pray because he's like, I did this to myself. I smoked my whole life and I damaged this or whatever. And, you know, I've seen God heal people who even in their own actions created their situation. Does that make sense? And so there are times where we do see where God can change the consequences of lifestyles and sins, sin things. But then there's some times that those consequences remain externally. Like families that fall apart. Oh my goodness, I'm not. Listen, I'm getting into some pretty deep stuff, and I'm not gonna be able to finish that in a minute. So you're gonna have to give me more time because I'm not done. I'm not done. Listen, because if I, if I shorten it too much, you're gonna walk out of here with questions and you're gonna let condemnation kill you. And that is not where we're going with this. This whole message is about stopping the spin and receiving forgiveness and realizing that God still will call you a hero and champion of faith and you will still be a world changer and God will still use you as a legacy leader in the kingdom, even with great failures in your timeline. But there are some things to keep in mind, like this consequence thing. David's kids still became rebels. Now, uh, my pastor's heart, dear. You're saying, Pastor, if I lived a rebellious life, does that mean my kids are all going to be rebels? No, that's not what I'm saying. But they will have to find God for themselves. And the examples and the things we let into our house, even though we repent and ask for forgiveness and God restores us, those years of seeds and things that were taught to our children, they may have to work that out. Yeah. And it may be a journey. But here's the part I want you to see is that God will walk with you and he will be a support and he will help you as you try to lead the home in a new direction. But not everything may go away just because you repented. Are you understanding that? Or let's just use real examples so I'm st- I don't confuse you. You might be messing around with, out on your spouse. You need to stop. You need to realize what you're doing. Repent, and you may, and at some, yes, you need to confess that. Man, this is really strong stuff. Put yourself in my place right now. Look at what I'm telling people. Listen, hiding your sin from your spouse isn't helping your spouse. But the devil will lie to you and say, well, I don't want to hurt them by finding out. You're already hurting them. And not telling them is not healing it. And it might be like, well, I'll just fix it on my own in secret. Do you understand what I just said there? They might stay, they might not stay, but you still need to get it right before God. For any hope of a restored life, or for any hope of God to intervene in the rest of your life, hiding it isn't gonna make it better. That's what I'm trying to help us with. It's like when it comes to consequences, sometimes people are like, well, I'll come to church and I'll pray and all the consequences need to go away. Or And look, there are things, people have free will and certain actions have reactions. They have certain things that go into effect that happen. But we still come to God and we still Ask God's forgiveness and grace and God. Guys, I'm gonna need a second. Don't get on the mic. Don't get on there yet. I just, I'm not done. And I just, I I really, I've been a little distracted by these pieces. But hear me now. I'm gonna land this plane, but hear me. David had a heart after God. Always had a heart after God, but somewhere he got off whether he wasn't obeying or chasing after his calling, whether he started just playing with ideas of sin and letting himself think and imagine, and it led him to sin, and he pushed through all the speed bumps. There will be speed bumps. God will try to stop us, yes. Truth is the only place, way to stop the slippery slope. But I don't know what's gonna happen when you start coming forward with truth. There may be consequences that. Forgiveness in God, he's not going to override someone else's free will. But he will be with you to help you in the life ahead and with all of those concerns and situations. So it's, it's, other people may not forgive even. Do you know that? You can't make other people forgive you. The Bible says as far as it concerns you, live at peace. And so you may go and say, look, I've been taking money from the, the offerings. I've been taking money from the business. I've been, you know, doing this in secret. And there may be repercussions, but you know what? God is with you, even though there may be Repercussions. And somehow, some way, he promises he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and somehow he's gonna bring good out of it. Because all things will work together for good for those who are in life in Christ Jesus. We have individuals who, right before they go to jail, will pray a prayer. They'd stolen something, whatever, whatever. They pray a prayer, and you know what? They end up still going to jail but God is with them in the prison. Do you understand my heart on this, where we're headed here on this? All right, worship team, come on out. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you from coming out. <laughs> give the worship team a hand as they're coming out. Come on out. Now, now they won't come out. They're scared. No, will hear you. What, a, what an interesting day. I asked Pastor Josue to just give us an opportunity to have a time of worship at the altar. Go ahead and stand. We're going to close this. God heroes, heroes of faith can still make some significant mistakes. God never stopped loving David. Never stopped loving David. It was his love that put the prophet in David's path to bring this up. And today this conversation is brought to you because God loves all of us. This was not a message to just point out sin. And that's something I didn't say, but it was in my notes, but the heart of God in, in helping people identify sinful behavior is never about the condemning side, It's a restoration. Why did God confront David? Because he wanted to restore David. Sometimes in the church, we take on this idea that we're here to judge everyone else's sin and like show them where their sin is. And like, that's the end of the journey. God was never trying to just point out sin. He's always got restoration on his mind body of Christ, if you identify a friend or a neighbor or a family member that's in sin, our job is not complete by just bringing that to their attention. But how do we help restore you? How do we help bring you back to your place of who you are? And We want to help restore, restoration is the heart of God. It's not just identifying what's wrong. It's identifying because it's in your way. It's stealing from you. It's something the devil's gonna use against you. It's gonna take you down a path you don't wanna go. It's gonna create more pain than you, want to, than you can even imagine. But not only do we wanna identify, it's there. We wanna identify it to get you on the journey of healing for restoration. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna open the altar just for a little bit. We're not gonna specifically close yet. So please, we're gonna have some time at the altar at your seats. And maybe there's some conversations you just wanna have with God. And there's some healthy truth conversation you have to have with God. God, I've been doing this and I'm, I'm identifying it for what it is. For David, he needed to identify and come to the reality that this was murder and being a thief, stealing. God can't bring you to deliverance and healing if you won't admit that there's anything going on. No, 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 I'm okay. You're not okay. And if you won't admit that it's sin, or you won't admit that it's, 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 it, it's, it's I've been lying. I've been deceiving. I've been an adulterer in my heart. I've been a fornicator in my heart. I've been this or this, God, I'm coming to God and I'm telling you, it's gonna stop the spin. I've been angry, I've been jealous. I've been, there's you know, I keep saying it's somebody else's problem, but in reality, it's a jealousy in me. And I feel like God wants to stop the slippery slope. God wants to stop the spin. But we have to have some time of truth between us and the Lord. And so Pastor is gonna lead us in a song. And while he's doing that, you can stay at your seat or you can come to the altar and you can just get before God and say, God, it's time for me to stop running. I've got some truth to talk to you about and just begin to talk to God about it. And it's it's the beginning of the restoration. The heart of it is restoration. It's not condemnation, it's restoration. Pastor Oswey, would you lead us? And they sing, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to stay at your seats, but just find a place to pray and be truthful between you and God. Altars are open.
1: Are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and train them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Come on, let's sing. Come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. oh come to the altar oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought just Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Sing all together. What a singing!
0: pray for this beautiful church family. And Lord, I just thank you that your heart for us is restoration. Your heart for us is always to love us, to help us, to help us stay on course with our callings and our lives and the purposes you have for our lives. And so Lord, I thank you that that's our perspective, that God, whether we're walking through something right now, whether there's something we've been carrying, Lord, I pray for those that have been carrying guilt and shame for a while, that God, today they would see that your desire is to restore and your desire is to move them forward. Your desire is to, like David, continue to use their life to fulfill the calls and plans and purposes of God on their life. That God, even these missteps, even these failures and sins and things like that, that God, you are so good that those things that God, you still do with our lives, you still, if we will put our heart back in your hand and we will still walk with you, you know how to overcome even the most traumatic sin and the most challenging failures. You know how to bring a life out and into great fullness despite all that. Now imagine if we made those failures and didn't have you with us, then all we would have left is the result of those failures. But yet when God steps in, you know how to make something beautiful out of it. And so God, I thank you for moving in the lives of your sheep today. Lord, if any of us find ourselves sometime in the distant future, where we make some crazy mistakes and we're like, how did we get here? Lord, I pray that we would run to you That, God, we would be truthful with you. That, God, we would be truthful with others. And that we would allow you to heal us then. God, please don't ever let us just stay out there. Thank you that you chase us even when we fail. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just thank the Lord that he's so good. Thank you for listening.